Today, we're introducing a new guest to you on this episode of the Inside Look podcast. Joey Tan is a young knowledge translation expert. We don't mean translation in the traditional sense. He translates ideas from academic journals to practice that physicians, pharmacists, and other practitioners can use. Since graduating from the pharmacy program, he has been an enormous influence, including developing tools that physicians can use pertaining to opioids and marijuana. We're so excited to have him here. Let's hear what his story is all about. Hi, my name is Sandy. I'm sitting here today with Joey Tan. He's a knowledge translation expert from the University of Alberta. He's been working with a really unique team here on campus. It's called the Peer Team, um, and he has graduated from the University of Alberta in 2013. And in 2015, he received his PharmD. So we're really honored to have Joey here with us. Thank you so much for being here, Joey. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sandy. Yeah, so I guess to start us off, for some of our audience who might not be familiar with knowledge translation, okay. could you maybe tell us a little bit more about what that kind of looks like? Okay, so the easiest way to put things is, uh, so knowledge translation is how you get um, education, kind of how do you dispel that or give that out to, to uh, a particular, particular audience. Um, uh, it can mean a lot of things to different many, many people, and that's why it's hard to define it. Um, Generally, with knowledge translation, an easy one to uh, kind of understand is that um, if I create some sort of guidelines, how do I get the message I'm getting across in the guidelines out to the public, healthcare practitioners, and students, um, that, that kind of thing? Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think for you know, to the like for the student or for you know someone who might not be in the healthcare field, it's uh, it's almost serves as a bridge of you know um, taking what the research and evidence says and you know bridging it into uh, more um, applicable, if you will, um, of like applicable guidelines that physicians and other healthcare providers can use. Is that? sort of touch on what your what your work is like. yeah yeah pretty much yeah okay very nice um so in terms of i know that you graduated from the u of a mm -hmm. and uh i know that you know you've been really involved in a lot of um the research and then the the knowledge translation aspects um what were you like as a as a student here at the u of a uh so pretty funny um i wasn't the greatest student i probably sat in the back of the class a lot of time uh and i in terms of marks wise i think people expect me to have like the highest marks because of where i am but i, I didn't um i was more focused on extracurriculars getting to know my class uh kind of having fun because back then i think a lot of the advice i got from older people was like enjoy um your time in school and unfortunately um it may be I mean, it's not the best advice uh that uh maybe you should still care about school it's not like i didn't care about school but uh maybe don't be so uh stressed about getting the highest marks yeah that's really good advice for some of our listeners who may be students and you know um especially speaking from my perspective as a second year um the course load is fairly heavy uh with our curriculum right now um, and so, yeah, I think that's a great kind of take-home message mm -hmm. to, you know, to really get a full under or full 
um, experience within pharmacy, um, whether that be part of uh, being joining some you know organizations such as APSA, mm-hmm. which I I know that you were perhaps part of um, during your time here. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah, I did a lot of work. Uh, especially i'm trying to think now i think social rep a couple times but uh like vp external which uh led into mr pharmacy at that time that's kind of uh one of the big things i did was bring mr pharmacy from i don't know if you guys know but back then it was in lister hall i think it was 150 people maximum and now you brought that over to the meyer horowitz um and now i don't know it's a pretty big event nowadays so where am i here yeah Mm -hmm. and even you know students from other faculties are also starting to take part and oh that's um, awesome it's actually happening for us next next week oh that's cool i didn't know that exciting Um, awesome um, yeah, so thank you for, for sharing, you know, your, the earlier parts of your journey in pharmacy with mm-hmm. us. Um, so when you were in school, um, did you know the, what uh, you wanted to do when you graduated? Uh, I think, yeah, so this is the thing. I think a lot of people expect for me to say, like, no, um, I don't know what I always wanted to do. But actually, I think as early on in school, I kind of thought, like, oh, maybe community pharmacy would be where, it at, where, where I'd be. And I think there's two votes back then um, from my friends, at least, and who I talked to. It was either community pharmacy or hospital, right? Probably similar things on what people think nowadays. But um, I don't know. I think I thought community pharmacy was my thing. And I kept thinking that until I graduated, until I started doing it. And um, that's kind of when I realized uh, community pharmacy is great. Uh, not that's bad or anything, but... Um, you know, depending on what community pharmacy you're at, there's always different opportunities, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, are you currently working um, at a like a community level, or have you kind of drifted away from from that? Yeah. So uh, after the community pharmacy bit, so after I graduated, I I worked one year doing relief in community pharmacy, right? Okay. Then did my PharmD, and after the PharmD, I went to a PCN. Okay. So. Uh, people still consider that community pharmacy because it's not necessarily the hospital. Maybe more specialty in that it's a clinic and it's not a pharmacy, but I'd still consider it a community. Uh, anyways, from there, um, I kind of realized uh, it was mainly the the opportunities in terms of like the patients you kind of see in the community. Um, and the PCN practice. Uh, certain pharmacies, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, see certain populations. And depending on the pharmacy you're at, you're gonna see different things and you're gonna specialize in different things depending on what you see. Um, what you realize is after a year or so, you kind of feel like you don't know enough, um, even though you've graduated uh, from school and you've kind of learned a lot in four years. Um, so I kind of hit a point where it wasn't necessarily a board or anything with community pharmacy. It was a, a point where I thought I didn't know enough to do a good job. So that's why I went back to do a, a PharmD to see, you know, maybe is there something else um, I need to know before I can like treat my patients better. And then after that, I landed the PCN job, but then currently I still work at a Costco pharmacy because I think it's still uh, relevant to stay involved. Yeah. Absolutely. And just for some of the audience members who might not um, be familiar with the PCN um, right. is, could you explain, elaborate a little bit more about um, what your role was there in the team? Yeah, so the primary care network, uh, the easiest way to put it is uh, the government gives money um, to 
individual individual family physicians. Um, it's kind of like a per patient you know, on their on their panel is what they call it. So who the physician cares for, um, and they get you know I don't know what it is, but maybe two or three dollars let's say per person. Um, but so what people do is they they you know bring people together. So instead of um, two physicians pulling their money, they pull in twenty physicians. Um, you get more for your dollar because you can start hiring people and you can start programs. So um, a PCN is kind of kind of like a network of those clinics. Um, so in Edmonton, I believe if I can think off the top of my head, I think it's five big ones we have. Um, but uh, I worked in the Edmonton Oliver PCN and what program they chose to focus on was uh, something called the hospital discharge program. Uh, so a lot of the times when someone comes out of the hospital, um, you, no one really realizes it, but uh, the communication between the hospital and the family physician clinic isn't the best. Even though we're, we have a lot of technology, even though you think everything's faxed, it's, it's not the greatest because uh, notes get lost, um, notes don't get transcribed properly. Um, so what I would do is I'd be kind of that, that, uh, that piece uh, to connect the two. So I'd be the one, once a patient gets discharged, I'd be the one following up with the patient and then calling the hospital um, regarding any medications, clarifying things, uh, making sure, you know, what, why did you start this? Are you sure you needed to start this or should we maybe stop it? And then doing all those actions and bringing that back to the family physician. We'd have a conversation on what things we would keep, stop, continue, and then kind of, uh, kind of go from there, yeah. Yeah, excellent. And I think that missing piece, like you um, talked about, is really important, especially when you know patients who might um, be falling or falling through the system after uh, receiving their care at a hospital. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, yeah, this really important work that uh, you did with uh, with the PCN, and um, obviously working together with um, other healthcare providers like uh, physicians and mm -hmm. nurses. Uh, also helps give a more holistic care for the patient. Yeah, no, definitely. Excellent. Um, so after the, you know, your experience at the PCN, um, could you talk about, you know, what, where that led you next? Uh, so after the PCN, so during my time at the PCN, um, I met a physician. His name was uh, Dr. Mike Allen. Uh, he currently runs a lot of the the, our group and a lot of the, uh, we call them um, CPD programs. So that's continuing professional development. Uh, so those are things like um, a podcast, uh, best science podcast, uh, tools for practice. Um, so he did a lot of those things, but he also had a clinic on the side and uh, I was responsible for one of his clinics. So got to meet him. Um, and then uh, over that kind of relationship, uh, a physician came on um, with the team, with the peer team. And uh, he decided, we got some money. He decided to hire two people. Um, one including one a nurse and then the other a pharmacist. So he hired uh, myself to kind of kind of ex help help expand the group because uh, it takes a lot of work to do a lot of these programs. Um, and when you start getting more um, leverage or you start getting a bigger audience, people kind of want more, and you see more manpower essentially. And it's uh, that's kind of where he was at. He's kind of in this expansion. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that he's a really big name here on campus as well, with particularly developing guidelines like um, the one uh, recently that was uh, just published with uh, the cannabis uh, mm-hmm. you know, guidelines. Um, yeah. Could you tell us a little bit more about that project? As I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, um, you know, um, really interested in that subject. As well. Yeah. So uh, I guess a little bit about guidelines in, in itself. Um, so guidelines are a complicated topic because um, I think uh, we use guidelines to help guide us because we're not sure what to do in certain situations um so the first guideline the group did and this is before i came on was a a lipid guideline and um, at the time that guideline came out when there was a lot of controversy with um, how you treat lipids Um, some people believe you target ldl levels um, as some listeners might uh, remember or still do to this day and that's uh, that's okay and then um, there's another approach in that you don't necessarily target LDL, um, but because the evidence more so relies on the fact they're on a certain medication, not what their LDL was. So their set of guidelines, the peer set of guidelines, focused on just starting the statin or um, a lower, a cholesterol-lowering drug, uh, namely a statin, and kind of leaving it at that. Um, rather than checking LDLs every year, you kind of start them on something based on the risk factors, and you kind of just monitor um, afterwards, um, without needing to follow the LDL, and um, got a lot of controversy. But a lot of primary care practitioners um, like that approach because uh, I don't know if people know this, but uh, family physicians uh, their day is pretty strapped uh, because in between seeing people all day, um, they have to write notes, look at lab work, order lab work, take phone calls, um, and whatnot. And essentially, um, for them to follow an LDL on basically almost everybody on their their panel sometimes uh it's it's hard to do and it's you'll pick up things that you don't want to pick up sometimes and not necessarily good things um one example is um if a lab result is is found um you know above the normal range um is that relevant or not uh it's it's hard right you gotta kind of sit and think about it but the patients kind of worry about it when you tell them because you you kind of have to and Sometimes you that leads to more negative things than if they just didn't know about it at all. Yeah, right. Uh, freak out a little bit with you know just seeing uh, something that might not be such a huge um, you know such a huge clinical impact. Yep. Um, but just because it, the numbers don't seem right to them, um, it might yeah it might cause some panic. I can imagine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, the the. The reason why these guidelines even started is because um, a lot of the guidelines are made by specialists. Um, and if uh, listeners kind of know, a specialist setting is much different than a primary care setting um, compared to even a community pharmacy in that specialists have the resources generally. It's a specialized clinic. All they see is just one type of patient. But in real life, in a community setting, you see all types. So. Um, the specialists um, kind of when they kind of tell what primary care practitioners what they should do it kind of it's kind of funny right that they don't know how their life or their work is um, in that in that setting yet they're telling them how they should manage their patients so there's kind of a controversy then that's kind of where the guidelines came up and with the cannabinoids guideline um, the cannabis guidelines um, that's kind of another thing um, we got, it was actually, it came from the idea that a lot of pain specialists were, you know, maybe recommending these things and starting these things and um, telling family physicians that they should do it too. And um, there's not a lot of 
information out there on what to do. So what, what else could you do, right? You just, you likely just listen to the specialist or to what you currently know. So the guidelines kind of formed from that and uh, helped fill them, fill in a lot of the gaps that hopefully a lot of people were, were asking and want to know about. Yeah, and even working in a community setting, I can kind of relate to some of those challenges as well. Um, you know, having a pharmacist um, being asked a lot about, you know, whether I should take um, this, um, you know, this one that uh, that was a direct-to-consumer product or, uh, you know, something that wasn't, didn't have a lot of evidence to support it. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a lot of confusion as well, even in my, in the clinic where I had worked. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, that's uh, great to hear that, you know, now we have something that um, practitioners can potentially rely on mm -hmm. um, to, to make those decisions. Um, so I guess in follow-up to that, um, do you know what the, you know, in terms of after you your group has published those uh, guidelines, what was the reception to those, uh, to the guidelines, and um, mm -hmm. you know, was the usability uh, feedback, I suppose, uh, with those guidelines? Oh uh, yeah, there's generally great feedback. So uh, for those uh, kind of, um, so what happens after a guideline kind of comes out is you go on a lot of, um, you speak a lot of conferences about the guideline and you speak a lot about the topic to kind of get the message out there. Uh, and like a lot of the comments at those at those meetings were that the guidelines were helpful, helped fill in gaps, but there's, a lot, there's the other side, the negative side. There's always a, um, not a negative per se, but a critical side. Um, and those people were kind of saying, oh, I'd rather prescribe marijuana than opioids, right? Or things like, um, you know, the, the costs on the system, or you, you kind of find, I'm trying to think the way, way to describe it, but the other side that there's physicians who don't want to prescribe marijuana at all. It doesn't matter what you tell me or what, what not, right? So that's necessarily not a good thing either, right? Because I think, at the end of the day, it's really up to the patient. Maybe you present them the options as long as they're informed. Um, you know, you should kind of work with the patient to see what they want. Um, but a lot of reception was kind of both like, kind of like those two things, like one prescribing marijuana because they don't want to prescribe opioids and the other one never wanting to prescribe marijuana. Um, and uh, that was kind of the reception we got. Um, regardless of the guideline, I think it filled in a lot of those gaps. People were very happy about it, but it just led to more questions. Um, a lot of questions we don't have answers to because there's not a lot of evidence on that. Um, currently, the big topic right now, um, we kind of just did a couple interviews on um, CBD. Um, CBD uh, cannabidiol um, is, for those of you who don't know, it's um, one of the components of the marijuana, one of the chemicals of the marijuana plant. Um, generally, uh, the two components that get ingested and, and lead to an effect is uh, THC and CBD, right? right? Tetrahydrocannabinol <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. the CBD exactly. components. There's usually like a ratio between the two and, um, you know, it's up to the physician or I guess the, the patient to kind of uh, work with the physician to decide what that optimal ratio of uh, the CBD and THC is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the question is right now is that um, people are starting to find out that THC, uh, as in our, our guideline, leads to a lot of effect, um, side effects. Um, so THC and CBD lead to a lot of side effects. And some of the comments we got was, if you just use CBD, you're not gonna get any of the side effects, but you're gonna get the benefits. Um, and that's currently what's going on right now in a lot of the media. Um, so people are starting to use CBD oils, um, CBD creams are very um, popular in the specialist setting. Um, and kind of 
the background on that, there's just no evidence on any of those things. Um, currently, the only thing that there is evidence on is uh, CBD for certain um, treatment-resistant seizure disorders. Um, and that's that's where the evidence lies, not necessarily pain or a reduction in side effects. So thank you for sharing a lot about the, the guidelines with us. Um, I think a lot of practitioners would find that piece very useful for you know going forward. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious now, just speaking more from you know your personal story. Um, you know what is uh, you know what does it look like on a day a day in the life of Joey? Could you describe to us what uh, you know your your work life and maybe a little bit about what your maybe projects and things that uh, you're kind of pursuing right now? Uh, yeah, so that's a good question. Um, so day to day, it's um, in the research world, it's a little bit different uh, in that. Um, to speak kind of broadly, in the research world, you get usually two or three big projects. Um, and within those projects, there's a lot of things um, that you're kind of a part of. Um, so a day-to-day -day is kind of try to think. So I get to work, right? Um, I have an office space in at the, at the university here. And um, usually, you have to check emails. Like emails in the research life, emails is a big part of your life. Um, and a lot of the emails are kind of um, a lot of the keeping up to date. So you're looking at oh, what articles came out this last week. Um, New England Journal just came out today, actually, right? What's what's on the table of contents? So you're just kind of quickly scrolling through those things. Um, and then once you kind of get a sense of whether there's anything important or not, um, wh what I kind of realized is when I got into this job, um, there's a lot of information. You just need to know how to filter what's important. Um, so once you kind of get that out of the way, um, you kind of start working on a project. So um, for an example, um, one example is we're currently working on another guideline, an opioid use disorder guideline. And uh, what's involved with that is something called a systematic review. Uh, it's, not the most, uh, it's not the most exciting thing to describe, but uh, it just involves a lot of um, searching through the literature. Um, searching through a lot of articles, uh, and then you, from those articles, you take a lot of the numbers. Right. Um, and to be honest, it's it's really dry uh, a lot of that part. Um, and what I realize is that every job has pros and cons. That's kind of the the least fun part of research is those dry bits. So you're looking through the literature, extracting data is what they call it. Really like detail oriented. Exactly. Your you know expertise have to pick out the right parts. And yeah, or you you actually supposed to pick out everything to be honest. Okay. Yeah, you actually pick out everything because you want to miss anything. And the the more exciting parts. Um, Sorry, so this is not a day-to-day, -day, but, but this is more so like a week, uh, or maybe a month actually. Okay. This is happens over like a month. Uh, you go from data extraction, which could take a couple of days to a week, um, and then once you get all your numbers, you actually you sit down with everybody else on the team and you kind of put them um, kind of on a screen and you, you kind of like look through all the numbers um, and you kind of see what makes sense. Um, that's kind of why you need everything. Um, and then you kind of see, is there something, is there a certain message coming out from the numbers? Okay. Um, kind of one, one, one interesting thing uh, I, can, I think I can talk to you guys about is um, uh, based on our recent literature review, like when we sat down with all the numbers, mm -hmm. we actually found out um, in regards to prescribing for opioid use disorder. Yes, that's uh, People 
like Suboxone right now. Uh, people are pushing Suboxone, but when you actually look at the evidence and lay it all out, um, methadone actually ha has better retention numbers than Suboxone, but people are pushing Suboxone. Uh, and it's funny because I think um, it's just one of those things where um, it comes down to a lot more factors than just the numbers and the evidence. Uh, but that's kind of a uh, a little insight on kind of what happens on a day-to-day. -day. Um, to be honest, it's a lot of meetings, it's a lot of um, uh, multitasking. Um, you'd be data extracting or looking through literature for maybe the morning, and once you kind of get bored of it, you, you kind of switch gears and then you start writing up um, like an evidence summary for like another project. So uh, in the research world, you have a couple projects because it's really boring to just work on one. So you need a couple of things to kind of keep yourself going. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And I know that your team works with a lot with um, you know your physicians and you also have a registered nurse. Mm -hmm. uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, there was another pharmacist, I believe, that I saw on the team. Yep. Um, what's that like? You know, What are the di team dynamics like working with uh, you know like the allied healthcare provider? Yeah, so the, the, I think the peer groups are really special in that everybody has the same voice. It doesn't matter who you are or what you are. You just bring in a different, um, ins some different insight um, from one another. Um, so I'm gonna be honest with you. It's it sounds very like relaxed, but uh, on a day to day the interaction, um, not everyone's there at all the time. Correct. That's yes. that's number one. Yeah. Um, on the days where we are all there, um, you'll work on something for an hour, then you'll go grab some coffee together, and then you'll like talk about your. Mm -hmm. I don't know, some funny yeah. stories for like, for a while, and then you go do some work, and then you'll kind of jump back in, uh, talk again, get to know, like, see what else they did that day. Like, it's a lot of like, um, relationship building in those conversations. It's kind of like water cooler talk, oh, yeah. for, for those of you kind of know that term. Um, and all of those conversations, they, they seem like fun, they are fun. Because we kind of laugh and joke about it, but uh, a lot of those lead to stronger conversations when you actually get into a meeting, like a productive meeting, right. which does take a lot of our um, a lot of our day. So um, there's meetings that we'd be sitting in together for you know as short as a half an hour to as long as I think eight hours is what we did the other the other week. So really depends on what you have to talk about and, and kind of debate, but um, you know. T Kind of small chatting mm -hmm. all, all the time, or when yeah. you're there, helps when things get really. Um, uh, yeah, when you're talking about more serious issues. Yeah, like or even when you start yeah. like not agreeing with one another. Right. That's when it actually yeah. matters. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Excellent. It's great to see like really um, close knit team of you know uh, with Dr. Uh, Mike Allen and yourself mm -hmm. and you know other other healthcare professionals. So um, yeah, and I think that's really also what you know the podcast is also about, which really just tries to bring together healthcare providers. So um, yeah, appreciate your you know your story about you know your your typical um, your team and your your mm -hmm. working group. Um, so I guess you touched a little bit on you know the challenges in your your everyday uh, line of work. Um, yeah. Could you talk about maybe one particular project that was particularly maybe difficult or, or challenging uh, for yourself or even for your team? Uh, one particular project, uh, to be honest, um, when you get into the research, uh, when you get into research, the 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 hardest problems you get is actually um, dealing with uh, funding. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be honest with you. That's yeah. been the, the biggest challenge we all face. Uh, mm -hmm. um, funding is the hardest thing to get, and it's the hardest thing to argue for. Um, get an example. Like many people can probably relate is um, 
uh, I don't want to bring pharmacy into this all the time, but uh, if you want to do something in the community, you know, let's say you wanted to um, build a new playground, mm -hmm. right? You have to get money for that, yes. okay? Um, and then people ask you, okay, I'm going to give you this money um, and you'll build a playground, but then like, what is that playground going to do? Okay, so is it going to make my kids happier? Is that going to make the kids in this community happier? Is it going to make kids in another? Yeah, great. So the, the impact is what people care about, and that's why they provide you money. Mm -hmm. And it's the hardest thing in research to show impact. Right, and to show that you know um, there's value created based on you know the guidelines and. I think part of it's also being able to measure um, those outcomes. Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe hard to even pinpoint a particular number or a, a statistic related to it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, you know, I think if I if we asked each other, you know, what is something you'd measure, you'd probably say a bunch of things, right? And I could say, you know, those are good ones, but um, can you measure those? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times, it's it's no. Um, even if you're you want to ask yourself. Um, did you, when you drank this cup of, of coffee today, um, you know, how, how much did that affect the landfill, yeah. right? Because that's something we care about, it's important to the world, but to track that, it's, it's almost impossible because yeah. of all the different factors. And it's like that in research. Mm -hmm. There's things, we, I could list off things to measure, but yeah. it's really, really hard to even um, have the resources to find that answer and, and measure that impact. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So I think, yeah, and even to you know to have to be able to put it into writing and then submit it to uh, organization must be a lot of uh, work to gather that information and and uh, be able to piece it together for for a different audience that might not be in research. Yeah, actually, to be honest, actually, when you submit these proposals, the people mm -hmm. who see them, um, they actually they do know the, the literature. Oh. Yeah, it's actually the the issue is um, if you had a bunch of money, mm -hmm. you have in your own mind what you want to do with that money mm -hmm. and if you come up to me with a proposal and it's not what I want I'm not going to give you the money it doesn't matter how much you spend it so um, it's hard you actually have to modify what you have to do to fit mm -hmm. what people want and sometimes it's things you don't agree with and that's the hard part yeah. and in research you have to kind of um, uh, you have to kind of concede to certain things mm -hmm. um, especially when you're getting big pots of money yeah, and you may not agree with it. Yeah. yeah. No, I think um, with any, I guess, research as well, um, with my summer um, position as well last mm -hmm. week, uh, I was able to be part of a research team with um, Dr. Mikowski here on campus. Yeah. And uh, similarly, I think funding was also a, a tremendous issue for us. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to trying to reach out to different organizations and, and seeing which ones would be receptive. So. Um, yeah, I think in I guess in any healthcare um, setting, you know, whether you're in pharmacy or whether you're in in um, you know in the hospital, uh, the you know the funding is really limited in that, mm -hmm. in that regard. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. So I guess moving to uh, more like a lighter topic. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, we're talking a lot about you know the different challenges that you're facing. Um, you know, what are I guess what are ways that you're um, you know, you're able to overcome some of, some of those challenges, I guess. Um, what do you feel like are the traits that kind of make you a good, um, a good fit for, for your job? Uh, yeah, so I'll speak to more, like, yeah, to not the research side, but like, so let's say the presentation side of things. Um, uh, presenters, so researchers, um, 
uh, not to speak negatively, but uh, presentation is sometimes not a, a strong suit for a lot of presenters. Um, and for myself, um, I, my one of the traits that I was good at was public speaking. Um, even though it's still nerve-wracking to me, to be honest. Um, but a big challenge at the beginning of this job was, um, you know, you have to go in front of all these doctors and you have to give a message. Um, and you have to be able to defend it if someone disagrees. And when you first start this, I don't know if you guys feel it, but you know, if someone, let's say, in a higher position told you something, you generally want to believe them because you don't know anything. Yeah. You assume they know things. Mm -hmm. um, experience. And exactly. Experience. So you assume they know it. But right. the, the big, actually the big, the big challenge at the beginning was um, getting the confidence to say, like, no, actually, I look through everything. And you're actually wrong, um, mm -hmm. even though you might have seen this a million times. Yeah. So that's actually really hard to do. Um, but it comes with practice. Um, and luckily, um, I think Mike Allen is really smart in that he how he hires people. Um, he looks for people who are lighthearted, who don't things take too, don't take things too seriously, um, because you need that when you're facing a situation where someone's really angry at you, and you just need, you yeah. kind of you can kind of like back away and you don't take that home and you don't mm. think it's a big deal. Like you kind of need those people, and those are the traits. Uh, I'm more laid back. Um, I'm more. Uh, I'd say. I don't really stress about things um, because, uh, or it's not that I don't stress about things. It's more so my stress doesn't show in my day to day. Mm -hmm. It shows more so uh, maybe when I'm when I'm sleeping, or I've learned how to to deal with a lot of those stresses. So I was good at that, and that's what made it uh, made this job a lot easier. Yeah, and it's it's great to hear about you know how. Um, you know, professionals in every stage of their career and how they kind of cope with with uh, different things that they're bombarded with on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. um, so could you elaborate a bit more about, you know, maybe supports that you had that um, maybe help you overcome some of the, the stressors that you, you mentioned previously? Right. I mean, everyone will say, you know, friends, family, like partner, girlfriend kind of thing. Um, those are pretty standard. Uh, I guess like some, uh, more so the atypical ones, I think, um, Thinking about now, um, I'm kind of a person, I don't know if it's a good thing, that buries my stress. Um, and one way it comes out, which is a bad thing, is you you wake up. I don't know if you've had this dream where you wake up, you think you missed an exam. I kind of learned actually that's because you buried your stress and that's how it's coming out. Uh, another one is you um, you can't sleep, right? A lot of people can't sleep when they're too stressed. Um, so that kind of happens too. So uh, for me, how I deal with it is the, the simple things. So um, you go, it's weird. You go take a walk in the mall because the mall because Edmonton is yeah, is pretty freezing. pretty cold. <laughs> um, and uh, or you just go exercise. I think working out, um, keeping active is a good way to relieve the stress. Um, I, I like to say video games, but at the same time, video games make you more stressed, I think. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if that'd be a good thing, but um, sometimes you just need that, right? You just need that time alone. Yeah. And as weird as it might sound, sometimes I just like sit in the car, nothing's on, and I just like sit there for like yeah. five minutes just to like let everything pass. Yeah. 
And stress is normal. Um, when it becomes abnormal, I think that's when people have to start dialing back. Um, when we're younger, we think that we can do everything, so we do it. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Um, what's hard is you start adding on things. So work, um, you get married or you have kids, and you don't want to leave what you currently are doing. And what you end up doing is you overload yourself, and people stay it like that for a long time, and they get to a point where you can't um, maybe reverse anything, and you can't do everything to the best of your ability as you get older, and things are I'm not going the way you want it to be. So, you know, I think just keeping tabs on what you're currently doing is always important, and never o overload yourself. Yeah. That's really good advice for our listeners, you know, regardless of whether they're a student or a healthcare provi provider. Mm -hmm. As we know, there's a, definitely a very high rate of burnout within, um, you know, the, the population and mm -hmm. with, with healthcare professionals. So yeah. um, it's really good advice that sometimes, you know, we just need to, to sit back and, and kind of uh, reflect on what we are committing ourselves or maybe over committing ourselves to. Mm -hmm. um, definitely. So I think that's really, that's really important. Um, so. In terms of you know moving ahead with your career, um, what are could you share with the listeners? You know maybe what your what your next steps are or what's um, what's kind of getting you going. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So, um, so I recently uh, joined the um, the National College of Family Physicians. So, we want to take what we're doing um, on a more national basis. Um, so, spreading the message um, across Canada rather than just Alberta. Um, a lot of people think um, our group focuses on Alberta, but we do that because we're just that's where our funding comes from. Right. And that's where we're located. So we kind of want to spread the message more. Um, so by working with this national college, hopefully we can get um, more of our evidence, um, information, and tools out to more of the public. Um, I get, in addition to that, I think, um, so this peer group, um, not a lot of people know about peer. And a part of it is because of marketing. So currently, we're trying to undergo this new marketing strategy on how do you get your brand out there. and. Uh, it's it's funny because in the research world, um, the reason why there's so many groups is because you don't want anyone else to take your work. Mm -hmm. So people create groups, and um, you keep that property within the group. The group can change um, by who is there, but the name is still there. It'll still, it'll still stick. So we're trying to get our brand across right now, and it's it's really hard because people know about us. People know about. Mike Allen, people know about um, the podcast or Tools for Practice, but right. no one knows about the group who's behind it. Yeah. So yeah. It seems like, you know, you guys are working really hard behind the scenes and um, we, we kind of want to know a bit more about like the personnel, personalities behind the team, um, mm -hmm. just as we are kind of doing today. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's hard because I think uh, we're right now, if you go to conferences, if you say, are you part of Mike Allen's group, they would know who you're talking about. And then peer hasn't yet stuck, and it's one of those things where it is a business thing. We're not good with business and marketing, and we have to go out there and figure out how do you market yourself. Um, and it's kind of the current struggle we're going through, and probably the next steps we're going to be doing. Beyond that, that's uh, hard. I think uh, my funding is only good for three years, um, and whether I get more funding or not is going to depend on what I do in these next three years. So. Um, I couldn't tell listeners where I'm going to be in five years, um, let alone four years um, or even three years, because it's going to be based on the reception of what we do in these next three years that will drive the years later. Yeah.
Thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that. You know, there is a lot of change in the industry, and you know, with the you know, with research um, being very broad-based and it's hard to kind of know exactly where where your path will lead you. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think there is a lot of um, a lot of potential in the in the field, especially where you're working and just uh, making that bridge between you know the academic knowledge and um, how do we apply that in, in everyday practice. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So I guess. If you had to share one piece of advice for our listeners, um, life advice, you know, it could be uh, career related or even just, you know, uh, broader um, personal, um, personal type of mm -hmm. advice, what would you, uh, what would that piece of advice be? Uh, so uh, I'll give two things. Uh, the first one um, is, uh, it's it's very hard for us to save nowadays. My number one life advice, so you're not stressing when you're retiring, is put away at least ten percent of your money. Okay, and that's that's just general advice. Uh, but in terms of career advice, um, so I was always struggling, even when I graduated, on where I was going to be in ten years. Um, you won't you won't feel it yet because you're not graduated. But when you graduate and you worked a year, you're going to ask yourself the question like, is is this it to life? Um, uh, that's what they actually call a, a quarter-life crisis. Uh, and you're going to have a midlife crisis as well, right? That's, that's just very normal um, to have that, actually. And there's there's literature behind it. Anyways, um, <laughs> but you're going to ask that question, is this all there is to life? And you're going to keep asking yourself that question. And you're going to ask yourself, OK, I want to do more school because I think I can be better. So you do more school. And then once you finish the school, you're going to ask yourself the same question. And that's what I kind of realized after I did my PharmD. I asked the exact same question I did before I went to the PharmD. Is, is this it? Is this all there is to life? Um, and then I'm like, okay, do I do more school? Or, you know, what do I do? Um, and uh, my advice actually is uh, you need to figure out what path you want to take. Um, someone kind of told me um, the, the best way to figure out where you want to be um, later on in life is to ask yourself, do you want to be the person who deals, um, who wants to make an impact on a one-on-one -on -one basis, right? Do you want to be affecting change on a patient level? Or do you want to be affecting change on a, a one to a hundred level? Um, do you want to be more of the, the manager, um, administrator, government, the influencer. Um, the influencer, right? Some people really like the one-on-one. -on -one. Yes. That makes them happy. And some people like more spread. And you, you got to pick which boat. It's really hard, um, but if you pick one boat, you can uh, you'll be really satisfied with what you uh, do in life. Yeah. So in that regard, it's you know if we're selecting with one path, we should kind of commit to it and you know own up to that decision mm -hmm. uh, rather than kind of be a jack of all trades, if you will, um, and try to do too much at once. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So students right now, um, I don't know if you realize, but um, they're coming out so soon. Um, all the many people have a farm D. Um, I was lucky in that there was not so many PharmDs when I graduated, but more PharmDs will be coming out, and when the entry-level PharmD comes out, even more PharmDs will be coming out. So um, a lot of these people, they have good education. How do you separate yourself? And the only way to separate yourself is you become really good at something, one thing. You can't be good at everything. That's we don't have a lot of we don't have the time to do that. So just pick one thing, be really good at it, and you'll likely get a career or some sort of job because of that and that's kind of the, the advice I would give yeah Excellent.
Thank you so much, Joey, for, for your time today. I think um, you shared a lot with uh, with us about your your personal experiences mm -hmm. and a lot of wisdom, I think, for our, our listeners, um, regardless of, of uh, where they are in life. So um, really great to hear hear um, you know the direction that you're headed, and congratulations with um, with you know being part of a on a national level mm -hmm. with your project. Thank so, you, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a good opportunity, and hopefully, um, listeners kind of take away um, helpful things from this talk. Thanks. Hi there. Thanks for tuning in today on this episode of the Inside Look podcast. Now. Joey has shared with us some valuable lessons from his work in a high-pressure research environment shortly after graduating from his degree. His journey is enlightening for everyone who seeks to communicate big ideas. Translating scientific evidence to practice is an art that will help shape the future of healthcare when we're so excited to see what happens next. If you like what you see, make sure to subscribe to our channel or give us a thumbs up. We have more to come, so make sure to stay tuned.